going to take me a while to get over that worship. I was in tears. Um, Vince, where are you? Guys, worship team, that was so amazing. Um, your goodness is running after me. Um, yeah, that just blew me away. And John, I might need you to help me with this. I'm not very technologically advanced. Um, yeah, thanks, thanks so much for, for the introduction, Mike. It's, um, it's an honor to be here. And, and can I just ask us to close our eyes just for one moment? Father God, thank you so much for this amazing privilege we have of knowing you. Father God, thank you so much for this time we could spend together in your presence. And I now pray that, the, um, that, that my words that come out of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable to you, Father God. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will open our hearts to hear what you want to say to us tonight. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Um, I just, you might not know who I am. I'm just a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody who saved us. And I, it's not my words, I stole it from a song that I heard a while ago, but it, it's just such, such amazing words. Don't you think, we, we are, and I'm not diminishing you, we are actually nobodies, but we wanna tell everybody about the somebody who changed their lives. And if that somebody hasn't changed your life tonight, I'm just praying that it's gonna happen. I really pray it's gonna happen. So you might not be a Christian yet, with the emphasis on yet. Because you know what, one day we're all gonna have to bow the knee and we're gonna have to acknowledge that, that Jesus is Lord. Why not just do it now? It just saves you time. Um, so this evening's message is entitled Christian Atheism. That sounds hectic. I'm, 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 not, a, I'm not a weird person. Um, what I mean by that, I, about 15 years ago, we, we were in Australia for about 12 years. We planted a church there. And about 15 years ago, I found a book in the bookshop called Christian Atheist. And I thought, man, this sounds weird. I need to read it. And what an amazing book. Um, let me just explain what it's all about. It's, it's basically, if we are Christians, the Bible says if we confess with our mouths and believe with our hearts, He will accept us. We will become Christians. Um, but you know what? We can live like atheists. We can live as if God doesn't exist. And, and I've done that and I can preach from experience. For 17 years, I wasted of my life. I accepted Christ at a young age and for 17 years, I, I knew I was a Christian, but I responded to certain things in my life as if God didn't exist. I lived as if God didn't exist. And, and it's a big thing um, for us as Christians to acknowledge. Um, so this might not be one of those Happy, happy messages, it might be more confronting, but it ends well. I can promise you it ends well. And I'm gonna share a little bit about my story and I hope I make it um, by the time the, 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 the clock finishes. Uh, so like Pastor Lloyd said this morning, two weeks ago, Pastor George, amazing messages. Um, last week, Pastor Ray, amazing messages. This morning, Pastor Lloyd, amazing message. This evening, Vince and the worship team, amazing worship, and now I have to follow that. Um, but you know what? I wanted to say this, at least I'm taller than them all, but I won't. Um, and, and that brings me to my first point. When, when we live like Christian atheists, 
then actually there are three things that I want us to look at tonight. Now, we could probably, in each of those things, we can, we can make a whole sermon out of that. So I just want to squeeze three things into this. The first thing, and that's exactly what I did now, I compared myself to other pastors and to other Christians. And fortunately, I don't have to do that. I don't have to compare myself to anyone because I am who I am, who God created me to be. And I speak the way I speak, the way God has called me to speak. And when I start comparing myself to other people, it, it just leads to heartache. And I've learned that when we, when we planted a church in Tasmania, a small little island south of Australia, God said to me one thing, and I clearly remember it. Stop worrying about what other churches do and start focusing on what I'm calling you to do. It's got nothing to do with what other people are doing. We should stop worrying about what people are doing and focusing on what God is asking us to do. So comparison is a dangerous thing. There's two things that comparison can cause. Well, probably more than two things. But the first thing is it can elevate us onto a pedestal because I can promise you that every single one of you are better than someone else at something. And when we are better than someone else at something, and if we want to compare ourselves to that people, we're going to put ourselves on a pedestal. And the problem with a pedestal is that when you fall, you fall very hard. The higher you go, the harder you fall. And um, I, I just want to share the, the, the story of David and Goliath, which is a perfect example of elevating ourselves. David and Goliath, 1 Samuel 17, verse 10. It says, Here and now, I challenge the Israelite army. I dare you to pick someone to fight me. Goliath elevated himself. He didn't really need to. He was three meters tall. So there was no reason for him to elevate him. He was already elevated. But he put himself on a pedestal and he said, I am stronger than all these guys. I can take them on. I'm the most qualified. I'm the most well-trained soldier. No one can beat me. And he put himself on a pedestal. We know what happened to Goliath when he did that because he compared himself. Now, the sad part of this story is that the Israelite army did exactly the same. They looked at Goliath and they compared themselves to him and they said, you know what? We can't beat this guy. He's, he's just too big and too strong and he's been trained better than us. There's no way we can beat them. And then King Saul, when David arrived, now David was this meek little, measly little guy who looked after the sheep and he came to deliver food to his, to his brothers, like Mr. D, Mr. Delivery, Mr. David. He came and delivered some food. And he, <laughs> he came to deliver food for his brothers. And he saw this, this giant who was, who was almost blaspheming his God. And he said to him, what, what are you guys allowing him to do this? And they basically said, well, what are you going to do about it, man? Mate, as they say in Australia. Um, but... You know what? Saul said to him, you are not able to go out against the Philistine and fight him. This is 1 Samuel 17, 33. You are only a boy and he has been fighting a fighting man from his youth. Now, when people speak that into your lives and they say you cannot do something because they're comparing you to someone else, don't allow that to happen. Don't allow people to say to you, you can't do something because you might not have the qualifications, 
You might not be as strong as someone else. You might not be as pretty as someone else in your eyes or in their eyes. But in God's eyes, things look very different. So Saul told him that. So poor David, Saul was telling him, you can't do this. Now it gets even worse because his own father, Jesse, we know that when, when, when God said, I need to anoint a king from the house of Jesse, and Samuel went to anoint the king, and Jesse had his, had his sons piled up there, the, the, the good-looking, strong ones that would probably be good kings. They probably looked through their CVs and said, right, these guys are the ones that you want. And Samuel said, it's not one of them. Don't you have another son? And then what happened is he said, yeah, I have a son, but he's probably not the guy you want. So even his father compared him and said, you're not good enough for this. Imagine what David should have felt like. His father saying, you're not good enough. And then this happened. Um, well, Jesse, Jesse compared David to his brothers. And then David said, I'm not going to compare myself to anybody. I'm not going to look at what the world says about me. I'm not going to think about what the world says about me. I'm not even going to look at the giants that I'm facing or the, 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 the war that I'm facing. I'm going to think about who's on my side. And I'm going to be with God and God is going to be with me. And I will take you on, Goliath, because God is on my side. And then David said to the Philistine in 1 Samuel 17:45, You come against me with sword and with spear and with javelin. And then he said, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. David saw himself the way that God saw him. He didn't see himself the way that the world saw him or his father saw him or King Saul saw him. He saw himself the way God saw him. He didn't compare himself with anyone. Now the other part of it, so Goliath put himself on a pedestal because he compared himself. Sorry for my back, I'll... I'll move around. I've actually got an issue with my hip, so let me stand here, and that's what I've got the chair here. How's this? Um, so uh, on the one hand, if you are going to compare yourself to someone, then you are going to put yourself on a pedestal. On the other hand, which is the, which is the thing I did most of my life, and I still struggle with it, and I, and I just want to say to those of you that struggle with this as well, don't compare yourself to people who are better than you at certain things because it's just gonna bring you down. You are going to feel useless. You're gonna feel, I can't do anything when you allow that to happen to yourself. Don't do that. And I wanna show you what happens when we do that. And we're gonna look at the 12 spies in the book of Numbers. When, when God said to Moses, I want you to send 12 spies into the land of Canaan. I want you to send them in there. And I want you to notice that every single one of those spies saw exactly the same thing. They saw the, the bunches of grapes that two men had to carry. They saw the pomegranates the size of rugby balls. They saw everything that was amazing about that land. They also saw the people that were there who were huge, by the way. And 10 of them came back and they compared themselves to the people of Canaan and they said, we can't fight these guys. There's no way. Because they compared themselves and they thought less of themselves. But Joshua and Caleb saw exactly the same thing. And they didn't compare themselves. They looked at what God had already said to them because in Numbers 13 verses 1 and 2, 
I don't know if you've um, realized this before, but God had already given the land to them before He sent them in. He said, the land is yours. And He said, it said, God spoke to Moses, send men to scout out the country of Canaan that I am giving to the people of Israel. He was giving it to them, present tense. And these guys didn't even think about that. And what happened? The 10 of them wandered in the desert for 40 years. Now, in my life, I wandered in the desert for 17 years. It wasn't that bad like them. But I wandered around for 17 years because I thought I wasn't good enough for God. I know I'm not good enough. None of us are good enough for God. But God sees it different. He sees us differently to what we see ourselves sometimes. So what happened is these 10 chose to compare themselves to others and the two chose not to. And I just want to say this. It's a, it's a corny little rhyme. But comparing leads to ensnaring. When we compare ourselves to someone, we're going to be stuck in a snare and we're not going to be able to get out. So I just want you to see yourself the way God sees you because He sees you as beautiful. He sees you as someone that He can use. Man, God used the weirdest people in Scripture. He, he used people no one would have chosen to use. And so if you're weird, God wants to use you. Okay, and if you're not weird, God also wants to use you. Um, and I just want to end, I'm not finished yet, I just want to close this, this first part about comparing with something. I'm going to share quite a few little stories about, about my life tonight, and I think it just, just makes it a bit more practical and, and hits home a little bit better. But God wants us to stay in our own lane. If you're running 100 metres, you're running a 400 metre, you need to stay in your lane. You can't go into someone else's lane. A lane has been allocated for you. I've been a swimming coach for many years in my life and I know, well, you can't go into someone else's lane because if you switch lanes in swimming, you're a terrible swimmer. But in running, you can easily go across to someone else's lane. And God is saying, stay in your lane. Let me just paint this little picture. Um, many years ago, I taught at a, at a school in Kimberley for physically disabled children. I loved it. I learned so much from these guys. They taught me so many things in life. And I, I coached some of the, um, the children that were in wheelchairs. I coached the wheelchair racing. Uh, but at the South African National Disabled Championships, at the galas and at the athletics, amazing things happen. I don't know if you've ever seen a blind person running 100 metres. It's the most amazing. They don't have someone to help them. They would run one person at a time. They don't run in all eight lanes. One person would be at the starting line in lane number four. Their coach would stand on the finish line. Their coach would have a loud halo or whatever you call it, those things. And he would, when the gun goes, he would say, four, 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 basically saying to them, stay in lane four, you're in lane four, stay in your lane. And as soon as they drift to lane three, he would say, three, 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 and then they know they need to move back to four. And sometimes some of these guys get disorientated and they run completely, they go the wrong direction. And I just want to say, we, we do that sometimes because when we're running blind in life, we are not going to get where we need to go if we don't have God standing on the finish line saying to us, here I am, stay in your lane. 
it's important that we, that we remember that, that we are actually running blind in this life. God is our eyes. God is the one who's saying to us, stay in your lane, stay in your lane. We need Him. We need God to tell us to stay in our lane. The second thing that can happen when we um, are living like Christian atheists or the second way we can see we're living like Christian atheists is when we have circumstantial trust. When we trust God only when things are going good. Now, I want, to, I want to tell you something. If you've ever heard someone saying to you, when you become a Christian, everything's going to be good in your life, that's not true. And I'm sorry to have burst some of your bubbles. Things don't always go right when you are a Christian. I can tell you that. I know that very well. So when, when, when people say to you, well, when you become a Christian, your finances are going to be fine. You're going to be absolutely fine. That's not always true. Go tell that to people who are suffering every single day, but who are mature and solid Christians. Um, I've got a little non-profit organization called Why Not Impact? And we are involved in, in places in India and in Uganda. Um, and I've got a really good friend who, who heads up a ministry in India in a place called Vishakapatnam, a tiny little village just outside of the city. And he's got about 200 churches that he oversees. It's called Christ Saving India. An amazing, amazing ministry. And we, we bought them a few water buffalo. So what they do is they milk the water buffalo and they pay their pastors a few dollars every day. Some of the pastors, there's not enough. And when I went over about three or four years ago, he asked me to speak to some of the pastors and just to encourage them. And man, when I went there and there were like 200 pastors sitting in front of me in a tent, just a covering, it was like 45 degrees, I was sopping wet, um, I couldn't even speak the language, so I'm, I'm sharing and then the guy is translating and it's taking about two hours to get the whole message across and I'm dying of the heat. These guys are sitting there, pastors, older than what I am, no shoes, their clothes are tattered, they love God so much. They love God so much. They don't even have church buildings. They sit under trees. They don't even have homes where they live in. Their children can't afford to go to school, but they are in love with God. Go tell someone like that when you're a Christian, finance is always going to work out. It doesn't always work out. You know what? I sometimes think when we look at poorer Christians, we can learn so much. And, and I'm not offending us because we have got a little bit more. I once heard a story about a pastor's conference in, in, in America where there was a pastor from um, one of the African countries from a very small, poor little church. And, he, and, he, and they, they, they sponsored him to go over to America. And he went to um, this conference and he met one of these American pastors, one of the mega churches, and the, and the time came to say goodbye. So the rich pastor or the pastor from the big church said to the other guy, I'm praying for you in your poverty. And the guy from the poor church says, no, you don't understand. I'm praying for you in your prosperity because we are on fire. And, and, and he, wasn't, he wasn't denying that the, that, the, that the big church was doing well. He was just saying, we're doing fine. We're doing okay. We don't need all that. To say that when you're a Christian, jobs are gonna fall into your lap is not always true. We don't always just get jobs because we're Christians. 
to say that when you're a Christian, health is going to be perfect, it's not always true. I've got a, a hip that's completely messed up. I used to run marathons. I, I ran the two oceans. I did triathlons. I can hardly walk up the stairs <laughs> anymore. And, and people have prayed for me. It's not as if people haven't prayed for me. It's not as if I didn't believe God can perform a miracle. But if he doesn't want to, that's fine. I don't know why he doesn't want to, but he's God, I'm not. So, so what he wants for me is fine. And, and um, you know, let me, let me share this amazing story. My story is nothing compared to this. When we were in Tasmania, we had a very good friend of ours. His name was Kerry Upchurch. Um, Kerry's gone to be with the Lord now. But when we were living there, just before we arrived, he was diagnosed with motor neuron disease. He um, slowly, he just went backwards and the, and the doctor said, we give you two years. Kerry lived for 14 years after that. But he went from not being able to walk, to not being able to help himself, to not being able to talk, to not be able to feed himself. And he, he needed people to care for him about everything. He couldn't do anything for himself. And at that moment, we were pastoring a church there and, and um, like, like all the pastors here would know, pastors do nothing in the mornings. So I, <laughs> I, I would spend mornings visiting Kerry. I would go sit at his house and visit him. And he, he couldn't speak. I, he mumbled and I could work out a few things, but he had like a computer program where he could actually say things. And Kerry one day said to me, you know, I'm so thankful that I'm, I've got this disease. And I thought, man, Kerry, what's wrong with you? Has it started affecting your brain? What are you talking about? And he said, because if this didn't happen to me, my relationship wouldn't have been with God what it is today. Now, I don't understand why God let that happen to Kerry. I don't understand it. Kerry has died. Kerry has gone to be with his Saviour, and I'm looking forward to seeing him again. But... Why didn't God heal him? People were praying for him. Christians were praying for him. It doesn't always work that way. It doesn't mean if we're Christians that things are going to fall into place all the time. And one more last, one, one last little story before I move on. I don't know if you've, you've ever heard the story behind the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. You know that song. Now, the guy who wrote that song is actually from India. His surname is Singh. So it's quite funny that Singh wrote a song. Um, and you can do a Singh song. Um, but he, he wrote... <laughs> that was corny. Um, he, he wrote this song when after missionaries had come to India and he wrote this song about he will never turn back. He's accepted Christ into his life and he's not going to turn back. And I don't know if any of you have been to India, but Christians are really persecuted there. Um, when I was there, they would put me in a car and rush me through to where I'm going to talk and rush me back again because if they found out that as a, on a tourist visa I've come there to preach, they would probably deport me. Um, when we went to rivers to baptize people there, we had to go to these obscure places where the water was disgustingly dirty, but that was the only place we could baptize people because um, if they saw you, they would arrest you. So that's the type of thing happening there. And, and this was many years ago, but, but this guy, 
the, the village chief found out that he was a Christian and that his wife was a Christian and that his two boys were a Christian. And he said to him, he brought him into the village square and he said, if you do not denounce your Christianity, if you do not denounce Jesus Christ, we are gonna kill you today. And he was sitting with a dilemma. It wasn't only him. I, I can just, I can't even imagine someone saying that to me and my boys and my wife. If you don't denounce Jesus, I'm gonna kill you. He, he thought about it and he thought about the words and he said, I've decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. And at that, they killed him and his family. This is a true story. This is what happened to this guy. Now, he loved God. He, he was a, a, a solid Christian who loved God so much and probably pray, prayed, please God, let this not happen to me. And it happened. Things don't always work out perfectly when we are Christians. I want you to know that. But the amazing thing about the story, it doesn't end there. Well, it ended for him. But now we know where he is. The village chief looks at this and he said to himself, something's not right here. Why would this guy be willing to offer himself and his family for something that's not real? There has to be something about this Jesus Christ that he's talking about. And the village chief and the whole village accepted Christ and they all became Christians because of what happened. That is what can happen. Things might not turn out well for us, but God's got a bigger plan. God's got a bigger plan than what we could ever imagine. And, and I've brought something with it. I'm just gonna use it at the end. So I hope you remind me um, to, to just use that at the end. Um, the biggest mistake we can make is to praise God and to worship God for all the things God does for us. We need to worship God for what He's already done for us on the cross. That's what it's about. Even if God does nothing else for you and me in this world ever again, if we end up with nothing and we sick like Job did, he ended up with nothing, we know that Jesus died for us. We've got eternal life. This is nothing compared to what's waiting for us. So please, when, when times get tough, don't give up on God. Don't think there's something wrong. God doesn't care about you. God cares about us when things go wrong. And, and just a, a, a little biblical story to prove that. Daniel 3, verse 16 to 18. Shadrach, Mesach, and I always get this guy's name pronounced wrong, Abed, Abednego or something. Um, they said to Nebuchadnezzar, because Nebuchadnezzar said to them, you need to worship my statue, you need to worship me, you need to, and they said, no, listen to us. We do not need to defend ourselves before you. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, we sang it tonight. There was another in the fire. Remember that song? But these guys were saying, even if there wasn't another in the fire, even if God didn't save us from that burning death, we will still not worship you because we know who God is and we don't care if God doesn't help us, we're still not gonna worship anyone else but Him. And that's the attitude we should have. Even if God doesn't come through for us the way we want Him to come through for us, we still need to be faithful and we need to worship Him. So we need to be careful that we don't live 
as circumstantial or have a circumstantial trust. We only trust God when our circumstances are going well. We need to be careful not to do that. Um, I want to move on to the last one. Okay, before I get to that, sorry, there's another quick story here. Um, when, we, when we planted the church in Australia, um, it was a small little church in a small little town. Um, it was a place called Alveston, tiny little town, and it was divided by a, a river fl- flowed, a town with a river flowing through it. I think there's a movie like that. Um, and on the one side of the town, there were 15 churches. On the other side of the town, there wasn't one single church. And this other side of the town was the bad side. It was the side where you didn't want to be. It was the side where there was drug addiction, prostitution, um, alcoholism. It was an absolute mess. And we, in our craziness, felt God saying to us, you need to plant a church there. And we ended up living in a caravan park on that side. We bought a little caravan with the annex. There were four of us in a place probably smaller than the stage. But it was the best time of our lives. It was the best time because... It, it gave us purpose. It was amazing. And, and we used to, on a Monday night, have something called hearty meals. It was a, a meal that we as a church gave to the community. They didn't have to pay. Um, I'm so thankful people didn't die because I cooked the food and they're still alive and everything is fine. Um, but it was an amazing time. We, we, in a small little town, there were like 150 people coming to this They were high on drugs, they were high on alcohol, they were high on anything you could get high on, and they came there. And just two quick stories. The one guy, every single night he came there on a a Monday night and he was smashed out of his mind. And I got to talk to him, and and we got to to get to know each other. And, And from that we got to know each other, every Monday night he will clean himself up, he will be sober, and he will come there on a Monday night sober and, and just out of respect for what we were doing. What an amazing story that is. He, he ended up dying. He ended up drinking himself to death. The family weren't Christians and they asked me to come speak at his funeral. It, it, it's the little things that we do that make an impact in people's lives. One night as well at the same thing, Hardy Meals, there was a, a family that was really um, they were always on drugs and always just complaining about the food. I mean, they're getting the food for nothing. And I know my cooking is terrible, but they could have at least just made as if it was good. And, and they came there and, um, and the one little boy was, um, well, he wasn't that little. And he was picking on one of my sons who was tiny. And I said to him, please stop doing that. And his mother heard me. And she came at me and she swore at me and she said, I'm going to kill you if I see you in this town again. And I felt sorry for myself, poor me. I went to eat some worms and I got in my car and I drove away. And I felt sorry for myself and I said to God, God, I'm doing this for you. What, what are you doing? And I just felt God saying, you know what? It's not about you. It's not about what you feel. It's not about what people say about you. It's about me. And I just felt I need to worship him in that moment. The most difficult thing to do is to worship God when you're angry at God. But do it anyway, because it's the most amazing thing. It just releases something. And, and just to finish that point, there's a song that someone sings, what if our blessings come through tears? Just think about that. We always think blessings should be these amazing things. Blessing should come with, with all these amazing things. Blessing should come um, in our pockets. We, we, I don't know if you've heard of that. There's a song that someone sings as well. We want our blessings in our pockets. 
We want our coffee in the foyer. I mean, that's cool that we've got our coffee in the foyer, but, but if we didn't have that, if we didn't have our blessings in our pockets, if our health wasn't what it is, would we still be that faithful to God? And I hope we can all say yes, because if we can't, then we need to think carefully what we're doing. And then finally, um, and I've just messed this whole thing up here, but I'll sort it out. Um, the last thing, if we live as Christian atheists, then one of the things we do is we don't know who we are. We don't know our identity. We've lost our identity. Now, David and Joshua and Caleb, they understood exactly who they were in God. Their CVs weren't impressive. They weren't qualified to do anything. But they knew, I am who God says I am. And no one can take that away from me. And that's why they were such an amazing characters or amazing characters in Scripture. Now, very quickly, just a little, uh, a little bit about um, what, what happened in my life. I spent 17 years of my life, I made a commitment when I was in grade 10 in a little Afrikaans Baptist church in Kimberley. I accepted Christ as my personal saviour. But my life after that showed nothing. I, I know I was a Christian, but for 17 years, I didn't grow. So instead of after 17 years, be a 17-year-old mature Christian, I was a one-year-old mature Christian 17 years in a row. I didn't actually grow out of my um, diapers, spiritual diapers. I didn't stop drinking from the bottle, spiritual bottle. I didn't stop eating spiritual purity. I just kept on being a one-year-old Christian. Now, we would think it's ridiculous if a 17-year-old, I've got a son that's almost 17 and one that's older, if he was still in nappies or still drinking from a bottle or still sucking a dummy, that would be weird. But as Christians, we do that all the time. And I did that for 17 years. I was a one-year-old Christian for 17 years. And, and maybe I can tell you why because I had no confidence in myself. I, I'm not a person who should be sitting here and talking to you guys, because in myself, there's no way I can do this. It's God doing this. I, I've become a school teacher, and I mean, those are the dumbest two things you can do if you can't talk to people, is be a pastor and a school teacher. And I've done both of them. But you know what? When God gives you the strength to do something, you can do that. I grew up in a, in a home um, where my father was an alcoholic and I couldn't bring friends home because I was afraid what's going to happen if I come home, what, what, what's going to be waiting there for me. And um, it, was, it was a difficult life um, at school. Um, I won't name the school, but when, when there are people who are predators, they pick up on vulnerable people. And I had a teacher at school who was a predator, who picked up on my vulnerability, who picked up on my, on, my, on my home life. And I was abused by a school teacher for two years. And it broke me. And I'm not talking about getting hidings. I've got lots of those. That's not abuse. Today it's abuse, but in those days it wasn't. I'm talking about, yeah, I'm not going to go deep into that. One night I came home. Um, I was writing my matric final exams, biology. Needless to say, I failed it. Because when I got home, my father was under the influence of alcohol and he was getting aggressive. And I stepped in and I pushed him away and he, and he fell through a window and he, and he told me to get out of the house. 
you're not my son anymore, get out of my house, I don't want to see you again. And I was wandering the streets of Kimberley that night, probably about two o'clock in the morning. But it's got a good ending, so don't worry too much about that. Um, army, I went to the army after that for two years, um, and I started drinking. You know, we, we used to get two little uh, beer um, tickets every night, and people in my platoon, I knew who don't drink, so I got their tickets. And I would sit every night and just get smashed. And then the next day, university, I did the same thing. It was terrible. And I'm just going to cut this a little bit short. But the most amazing thing happened in my life when um, probably about 23 years ago. There was no reason for me to actually do this because I had a swimming club in Kimberley. I was making huge amounts of money with my swimming club, drinking it all, acting like an absolute idiot, like a Christian atheist. And I accepted a job in East London at a school. There was no actual reason why I had to do that. It financially was a crazy decision. I knew nobody there. And a few weeks later, I met the most amazing woman who was in the same, had the same problems as me, and we got married nine months later. We married for 23 years. God has been amazing to us. He's given me this amazing... Um, we've got two beautiful boys, Sons of Thunder. Um, I, I didn't know, I'm, I'm coming to a close, I'm really almost finished. I see I'm way over time. I didn't know who I was until I gave it to God. I had a mother, and I told her I'm gonna mention her tonight. I had a mother who prayed for me for 33 years. Her knees are like worn out because she prayed for me. And, and I just don't want you to underestimate the power of prayer. I don't care how old or how young you are, there is a purpose for you. And my mother is 85 and she's still praying for me and I need it every single day. What an amazing, and, and, and then just finally, um, I kept looking at others and trying to be like them, never being able to catch up. And then I read this, I don't think you guys have got this, but 1 John 3 verse 1, see how very much our Father loves us, for He calls us His children and that is what we are. And now we can say, hello, I am a child of the one true King. And very close to finishing, I promise, um, my father, I, I, I asked my mom, can I share about it? My father, five years before he passed away, he recommitted his life to Christ. He didn't touch a drop of alcohol for the last five years of his life. He died in his sleep. And... Very quickly, something else, a, a month after he died, my mother got a call, my eldest brother who was involved in drugs and, and he just had a terrible life, was in hospital with a brain aneurysm. He was about to die. And we rushed to the, to the hospital. I mean, I was a mess at that time and my mother stood next to his bed. He had pumps and things all over him. She held his hand and she prayed. She prayed that he accepted Christ right there. And she felt him squeeze her hand and she believes that he's accepted Christ there. And the amazing thing is this happened a month after my dad died. And my mother said, God is so good. And I thought, what are you talking about? You just lost your husband and your eldest son. And she said, because I know that if my brother, uh, that if my brother John died before my father died, it would have got my dad back probably to drinking. So he knew, God knew what he was doing. So since then, you have been raised 
um, the last one, Colossians 3, verse 1 to 3. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. Last thing, I brought this tape measure with. Now, I've, I've seen this, um, a guy did this, so I'm, I'm stealing uh, Francis Chan. I don't know if you know Francis Chan. He used this illustration with a, with a rope. I couldn't find a rope, so I just used this. Um, this thing is pretty long. Now, when we look at this, at this tape measure, this little silver part on top there, that is our life on earth. The rest of this, the rest of this, That is eternity. Why do we spend so much time worrying about things that are only the tip? And why don't we start focusing on what God has for us and eternity things? I just want to leave you with that. So the last question, is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul? Ask yourself that. Is it well with my soul? After 33 years of fighting and and struggling my way through, I know it's well with my soul. I don't need to have everything in this life to make me know that. I want to ask you, is it well with your soul? So let's just pray together and then we'll end. Father God, thank you so much that you love us. Thank you so much that you are God and we are not. Thank you so much, Father, that it doesn't matter what happens in our lives. We know that you are faithful. We know that you are there for us. We know that this life is very, very short compared to what's waiting for us. And we just want to pray that you would help us to focus on what, on what is eternal, on what is you. Help us not to focus on how the world sees us, on how we see ourselves. Help us not to focus on our feelings. Help us to focus on you. Help us to know, Father God, that it doesn't matter how we feel. It doesn't matter what we're going through. You are there. Even if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are there with us, God. So right now, I just want to ask if, um, if you can keep your eyes closed and um, I think the guys are going to come up to the front here to pray for you. But, but if there's anyone here tonight um, that would like prayer, I don't know, there might be some people here tonight. Father, there might be people here tonight that you know, Holy Spirit, you're working in their hearts right now. And they don't know you. I, I want to just say to you guys, if you don't know God... It might not seem as if things are going to go well for you, but you're going to have an eternal joy, an eternal peace that only God can give you. God created us with this little little missing piece in our lives and He is the only one who could fill it. And I'm just going to pray if you want to, if you want to accept Jesus Christ tonight, I want to ask you to come forward and, and to receive prayer. If you are here tonight and, and you, you have lived like I have lived and still suffer with and still struggle with sometimes, I'm living like a Christian atheist. I, I, I'm comparing myself to other people. I'm allowing other people to determine who I am. I'm allowing the, the Facebook likes and the things on, 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 on social media to determine who I am. If that's you tonight, won't you... Won't you um, You don't even have to come up for prayer. Why don't you just quieten your heart 
and ask God to show you how to put your trust and your faith in Him. So let's just do that tonight and, and, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much, guys, for being here and I, and I pray that you'll have an amazing week. I pray that you'll be blessed and I pray that you'll know that whatever you're going through, God has got that. God has got you because He loves you. It doesn't matter what anyone says. God loves you. Amen. Amen. Won't you please stand, everybody? I think that deserves a shout of praise, a celebration. I'd like to, like to honour Mark for sharing very vulnerably and very honestly and very truthfully. And I'm so grateful that we have a faith that stands both in the beauty of sunshine, but also in the test of a storm. Uh, he's the same God in both. Amen. And I want to encourage you to take up his invitation for personal conversation or prayer afterwards and not to rush off anywhere, uh, but to stick around and grab a cup of coffee. And I feel much better as a preacher because both our preachers today went over time. God bless you and have a great evening. Thank you very much. <laughs>